At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making peer support for post-traumatic stress disorder easily accessible. With a vision of a world where finding help and support is simple and the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. In three, two, one. Today in the show, I am so pleased to have a dear friend of mine, Laura Townsend. Now, the reason I have Laura on, she is not a veteran. Disclaimer, and she is not a first responder. However, she does suffer from trauma, and the reason that I have the occasional guest, not very many, that are not a member of the first responder and veteran community is because trauma is trauma is trauma. Operation Tango Romeo definitely has the tilt towards veterans and first responders, but trauma is trauma is trauma, and the effects on your life are similar regardless of the modality. A while ago, I had Theo Fleury, who was raped 150 times by his coach. Absolutely horrific. But the effect on his life was not unlike the effect that uh, PTSD has been on my life as a military veteran. So without further ado, Laura Townsend, thank you so much for joining me today, my friend. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Um, This is my first podcast, and... um, I'm just so grateful, Mark, that you've invited me to to come on today and share my story. And um, Theo Fleury is one of, um, he doesn't realize it, but he's a bit of a mentor for me um, in that uh, I'm a survivor as well. And uh, I heard him on your podcast and, of course, it was riveting and I could uh, relate to what a lot of what he had to say. So uh, thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you, and thank you also for being a regular listener and uh, regular listener of Tango Romeo, and for the feedback that you've given me. Now, as a person who is not yourself a veteran or uh, a first responder, and neither is your husband, how is it that Tango Romeo has been able to keep your attention? Like, what is it about uh, the the podcast that makes it so that it's still relevant for you, even though you're not a part of the veteran and first responder community? Well, I first started listening to your podcast when you had Theo on, and um, and I just thought it was such a well done podcast that I continued to listen to it bits by bits. And as I listened to it, I um, began to realize how um, the post traumatic stress um, that I had been experiencing for years really, I had I didn't really realize it until. Um, well, one, the, the podcast with Theo kind of opened that door and, and then it, um, it was kind of a, a little bit of a, a gateway, I guess, and into, um, being a little more curious and, and, and since I related to him, um, I began to, to listen a little bit more. And, and so then I, I began to relate even more to the different guests and yourself and realizing um, I, I, I do suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and I, like I said, um, I went to school for social work and I, um, it, that was 25 years ago. So um, we didn't speak about post-traumatic stress disorder that I can remember 
but yeah, I, I just, I just assumed that the symptoms, um, and some of the thought processes that were going on in my, in my head, um, and that, um, I thought it was related to some of the mental illness history that was in my family. Um, but recently over the months, listening to your podcast, little bits by little bits, um, I have to admit, I, I, I only listen to about one a week. Um, I want to catch up <laughs> really quickly and like hear <laughs> all of it, but, um, it is a lot for me to absorb. Um, so I, I have to give myself like kind of pump the brakes a little in terms of um, taking in all that information, relating it to myself with a lot of like those, as Oprah would say, aha moments. Um, yeah. So it, it's been, it's, it's been a great addition to this journey that I've been on for sure. Well, I'm certainly glad that there's been some help for you and I hope it's uh, still relatable even when I have veterans and first responders on as guests. Um, when no, So you're an ultramarathoner, and your goal right now is 50 ultramarathons, which is, I mean, even one would just, <laughs> it's just beyond my <laughs> comprehension. Uh, but you want to do 50? surprisingly. <laughs> <laughs> but you've done like over 30, haven't you? I actually, I just completed number 31 yesterday. <laughs> yesterday, you and did your 31st yeah, ultramarathon. Yes. Dear Lord. And it was kind of unexpected. Um, yeah, so a couple of weeks ago, um, <laughs> I ran 24 hours around the local track um, because I put on an, um, a running event called Survivor Fest, and it's a 6, 12, and 24-hour event. And when I originally planned it i thought i'll race direct that because there's no way i'd ever want to do that shit <laughs> and uh i like when i do my ultra marathons i i love going out to the trails and the mountains and um yeah and so running around a track just had no appeal to me but as i organized it and i experienced the athletes like during the event and afterwards I realized what a special event it was. And so this year it was canceled due to COVID-19. And so I decided I would do my own survivor fest and take the opportunity to find out what it's like to do 24 hours around the track. And, um, so uh, I did it the last weekend of May uh, to recognize Sexual Violence Awareness Month of May because uh, I'm a survivor and it's a, it's a cause that's very important to me. Um, this mission for me to run 50 ultramarathons before I'm 50 is to fundraise for my local sexual assault center, Saffron Center, but also to gain awareness um, and educate everyone and share my story that um I, if this has happened to you sexual violence you're not alone and you don't have to stay a victim um you can be a survivor and and that's why the the hashtag beyond me too is is so powerful for me because um unfortunately what happened to me happened um but it also um, made me a stronger person. Um, 
as I, as I've worked through a lot of, and I'm still working through a lot of what happened, um, and the dynamics that come with that. Um, but I just, I just want to share my story with, with others and, and just so that they know that they're not alone and that, um, it's never too late, um, to, to, um, share your story, get help. Um, and, and if someone does tell their story to you to, to tell them that you believe them and, and, and help and support them any way that you can. I'm sorry. I'm just, uh, absorbing everything that you just said. It, it's amazing what, what you've done and to ignore the stigma and just to be out there in the forefront doing what, what you're doing and running for 24 hours around a track. How many kilometers was that in total? So I ended up running 134 kilometers, um, which is the furthest I've ran to date. Um, I've ran a lot of, um, so ultra marathons are anything that's over 42 kilometers and generally, um, the events start at 50 K then it bumps up to 50 miles, then a hundred kilometers, hundred miles. And now there's even 200 milers out there. Um, I have done a, a couple of 50 milers, but I felt like, um, with my lifestyle. So I have five kids between the ages of seven and 15. And so with that and having my own company, I have a very busy life life. And, uh, so I just wanted to make sure that my body recovered enough. Um, and so I've, I've, um, tried to keep it down near the 50 kilometer mark, but this one was particularly special for me. So I, so I just, yeah, just, came up with this idea and, and thought, okay, let's, let's see how I, yeah, let's see how I go. And, um, because of, um, all the restrictions happening, well, then, and, and now I wanted to keep it on the, on the download just so that there wasn't a large crowd or anything. Um, and, but, about a week beforehand, I started to reach out to running buddies and, and let them know what I was doing, reached out to a few people that um, inspire me along the way that I always think of during these long runs. And little by little, um, some of them, you know, wanted to be there on that day. So I really was not able to fail at all on, on, um, my 24 hour goal. Um, because I, it was amazing. Like they didn't even talk to themselves or like organize anything, but they just, friends just trickled in at, at the perfect times, uh, and re-energized me and just kept me going. Uh, I had a friend of mine a week before the event that I reached out to, he decided to join me for the whole 24 hours. So he hasn't been training as much as me, but, um, he was out there on the track, just giving her like, um, we, we didn't run with each other towards the end, but just like I told him, just seeing him across the track was amazing. Like knowing that I wasn't alone, I wasn't alone. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it was a pretty emotional morning when I finished the 24 hours. Cause, um, I was just surrounded just surrounded by so much love and support um 
that it it felt incredible. And, you know, it continues on. Like this weekend, so the reason I did this, um, my 31, um, 31 Ultra yesterday was because one of the athletes that did Survivor Fest last year wanted to do Survivor Fest again this year. Um, so she was at her campground in Gunn, Alberta. And so I joined her for 12 hours and then someone else joined her for her last 12 hours. And so, yeah, she, she ran 24 hours around her campground. The campground was incredible. She had shared what she was doing with others. And so as we were running around the campground, people were cheering for her. Uh, people were donating to Saffron Center. It was just incredible. You know, it's, it's amazing what we can all do, like, like little, little things. But when we all gather together to, and put all those little things together, we really make something spectacular. The mental fortitude it takes for any kind of marathon is incredible. Did you find that it was more difficult uh, running the track mentally? Uh, definitely. <laughs> uh, part of the reason I enjoy going out on the trails is, um, you know, the different terrain you're going up, you're going down, uh, you might go through Creek crossings. Um, I mean, the views are spectacular. You're amongst trees, you're hearing birds whistling, singing. Um, and so being on the track, the scenery is definitely not <laughs> not there. Um, so yeah, I have little games that I, I play with myself. One of the, the, the biggest games I play is it's called my outlast game. So I'll count how many people come to the track while I'm running and I've outlasted. So I outlasted <laughs> 79 people <laughs> in 20 and 24 hours that day. <laughs> um, so just little games like that. Um, I do a lot of math. So I just focus on, and I do this a lot of times in, in the ultras that I do as well as, um, I, I just, uh, focus on the hour. And so I'll be like, okay, so I want to do seven kilometers in this hour. And so then at the second hour, I want to be at 14 kilometers. And then at the third hour, I want to be at 21. And I just, just do, do a lot of math. And so that I'm breaking it down into smaller chunks how do you keep and, track of uh, how many laps that you're doing? I I would never keep count. Well, I did splurge a bit on a on a pretty fancy sports watch about a week before uh, that has an amazing battery life, and so it it kept track of my mileage. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, because yeah, there's no way I could keep count. Yeah, so it's like sure. a GPS tracker, so it knows exactly how far you're going. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it does my heart rate, does elevation, it does cadence. Like, it's got so much information that it's it's mind-boggling, really. So, yeah. So, the Saffron Center is your charity of choice for all these ultra marathons, for all the fundraising. Yes. At, at um, what point were you ready to step out into the spotlight, so to speak, and... And, and put your hand up and go, hey, me too, and I'm going to do something about it. So, of course, the, the idea, um, 
So I first, uh, sorry, I first learned about Saffron Center um, through the elementary school that my kids go to, and uh, the parents were invited to an information night put on by the school, uh, Saffron Center, and the RCMP liaison within Strathcona County, uh, and it was an information session for parents, um, and and they really presented it more like a team where they spoke about uh, Saffron Center coming into the schools and speaking about not sexual violence. Um, What they do is they present it uh, to the grades one to three, where they're talking about saying yes, saying no, setting down boundaries. uh, And then they'll come back into the schools for grades four to six. And they layer on top of that and they start talking about friendships, what it looks like to be a good friend, um, a little bit of bullying. They might even, you know, talk a little bit about that in grades one to three. And they might touch upon social media a little bit in grades four to six. Then they go into the junior high schools and they layer on top of that again. And now they're starting to really talk about social media Uh, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, how easy it is for someone to uh, have a false identity on social media and how the predator, like, again, I I don't think that they're necessarily talking about sexual violence, but they're talking about, they're giving the kids tools, thought processes, um, and again, relationship building. Uh, and then they go back into the schools, high school age, and they layer on top of everything that they've been teaching the kids. And sitting there, all I could think about was, um, this is emotional. Um, all I could think about was what happened to me might not happen to these kids. They're getting tools that, um, Sorry, Mark, I didn't no, think I'd be, don't be sorry. emotional, but I just thought this is this is a game changer. This is a life changer for these kids. Um because it's uh they're given like what happened to me might not have happened if that had been going on in my schools. So it's um you know, I would love to see this programming in every single school across Canada. I, I've thought about that the last few weeks. You know, maybe that'll be my legacy. But for now, um, like I said, I, I just want to keep fundraising for Saffron and to support everything they're doing within our community and share my story so that, you know, if someone hears this, they can go into their communities and and, and be as passionate about it as I am. Um, yeah. And so then, uh, you know, sitting there thinking, you know, this is a game change, life changer. And then probably on a run, because that's where I do all of my, all of these great <laughs> ideas <laughs> come to me uh, during my runs when I'm Well, it's a form it's of, quiet. it's a form of meditation. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, when, it's when your mind is quiet, all these things pop in. Right. And there's a lot of problem solving that happens during these runs and, you know, just idea formations. Um, and so, yeah, it was, I can't remember exactly what run, but, uh, you know, 
I approached the executive director of Saffron Center and I went in and uh, I just said, this is, this is what I'd like to do. I think at that point I was at ultra eight, um, maybe even, yeah, my kids were still fairly young. Like my youngest was only three at the time, but it was also at that point where I thought, okay, now I can, I can really, um, focus on, on running a little bit more and, and amping it a little up a little bit more. I was starting to sleep through the night. <laughs> kids weren't interrupting my sleep so I could recover a little bit more. Um, so yeah, I just thought, okay, let's, let's do this. And course i i had also been inspired through other podcasts um there's a runner down in calgary called martin parnell who i listened to a podcast where he had ran 250 marathons in a year Uh, i know uh to fundraise for um kids sport i think it is and i thought oh that's fantastic so inspiring right and then um and and yeah so you know, kind of modified it for my own, my own, um, uh, I don't dream like inspirational, like goal. And, uh, and it's, it's become amazing. The amount of people mark that come out, um, or hear my story and come up to me and say, me too. It just, it just gives me so much more power and it, Sorry, again, emotional, oh, but it gives me so much power, you know, and, and letting me know I'm doing the right thing because nobody should have to, to live with that, the silence of that, the stigma or, or blame or shame or all that, like they should really, um, as far as stigma is concerned, yeah. there's been a lot of changes over the last few years. Have have you felt that uh, the stigma has been melting away? And if so, like over what period of time? Um, well, for me, I think like um, for me, the stigma really, kind um, really dissolved. Like when I when I went to college, it was for social work, and so I sometimes joke that. Uh, like I had to take out a lot of student loans and I, I sometimes joke that that was like a really expensive therapy too. (laughs) I was educated and I went through a lot of therapy just because you have to do a lot of self-awareness in that first year. Um, because their, their, um, thinking is, is you need to gain awareness of yourself, uh, so that you can help others. And so there was a lot of self-discovery I did during those college years. And then over the years, I've, you know, again, it's little bits by little bits, you grow. Um, And so really, I think at that point on, uh, the stigma had erased for me. Um, And I... What about uh, in in society in in general? Have you seen a change over the last few years? You know, I have to admit... um, I think the stigma has changed, but I still feel and hear sometimes, oh, the Me Too movement was such a strong movement. That's not happening anymore. But yet, a few months ago, right in our own community, we had a scout leader that um, was, uh, he wasn't convicted, but he was charged with child pornography. So, you know, yeah. when I hear stories like that, I'm thinking it's still happening, people. 
And that again gives me the message that no, we're not done here. We are not done. Right. No, and never will so, be. It's uh, uh, pedophilia has always been with society. And I, it's a sickness, a horrible sickness that I do not understand. But um, we've got to talk about it more to protect the children. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I think, I think, I think the, you know, I've, I've never had anybody question me when, with my story. Um, if anything, I've gotten um, congratulations, support, uh, recognition. Um, and like I said, every, the, the real impact is when I have other survivors come up to me, you know, um, and I hear that they're not alone anymore. That's, that's the biggest, that that's every run I do. I think of survivors and I think of, uh, what got me here today. Um, you know, the mental fortitude, the strength, the self-awareness, um, yeah, it's it's with me on every run. What I wanted to talk about, Laura, was the the effect of all the running on your mental health. So, would you say that it's a coping mechanism, the, the all the running, or a healing mechanism, or a little bit of both? Uh, for me, it's definitely um, there's a lot of healing that happens on those runs. Um, and then, yeah, there is some coping that goes on with it as well. Um, it's funny, you know, I still, I, I still can't believe I'm a runner. I, I did sports when I was in high school, grew up on a farm, so always quite active. But when the coach wanted us to run laps around the field, I just was like, why? I'm <laughs> running all through practice. Why? And, uh, and so it still stuns me, everything that, like, that I love running so much now. Um, but, uh, I started running, uh, a little bit before, um, I was married to my husband. Uh, I was working in social work and, um, I, started running for stress management, uh, joined a running clinic, but I still hated it. And then, um, my husband and I had triplets. Uh, they were our first children. And when I was pregnant, we spoke about keeping one thing for ourselves. And so my husband, Phil picked, uh, being a Freemason and I picked running, which to this day baffles me because I still hated running at that point. But I went um, and started doing another running clinic. And this was a real game changer this time around because I, I met some really key individuals who uh, were just super supportive. I met other parents who I could speak to during these runs. I would come home and Phil would always be like, how did you talk about all that stuff while you were running? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, I don't know. We just did. <laughs> it's it's how we, we, you know, the time goes by so much quicker when we're talking to one another. And I just gained so much knowledge from those other parents and support and was inspired by 
what they were running, you know, marathons. And my running instructor at the time, he was running ultra marathons, uh, doing Canadian death race, doing Ironmans. And I was blown away. Um, and he, he was a huge supporter of women. Um, that was 15 years ago. And he was saying, women are built for endurance. You guys are, you know, with childbearing and you're just built for endurance. And he really, he really is right because now in the ultra marathon world, you see women um, winning outright some of these endurance events, beating men by hours sometimes. That's amazing. And uh, he, and he was talking this way 15 years ago. And so he was a huge supporter. Um, and then I just, yeah, I just was surrounded by other runners and uh, goal orient, like just, and they all all said, well, if I can do it, you can do it. And so I just started running and uh, have met so many great people, been inspired, uh, supported that I just kept going and um, would find these, a race that I wanted to do. And that kind of became a goal. And then you know, I'd finish that race and think, oh, I'd love, or I'd hear about another race and think, oh, I want to do that one because of my kids' ages. And um, it does get pretty costly. They, they, they say that running is a cheap sport, but I'll tell you when you get into doing events, it, it starts becoming a little more expensive. So traveling accommodations. Family, yeah. And race fees. And um, so I've kept mostly to Alberta. Uh, just so that generally when I do these runs, I can come home at the end and, and be home the next morning uh, to so, uh, be with it, the family. As far as mindset, though, Laura, um, mm -hmm. where, where you started 15 years ago and where you are now, what is it? How have you changed as a person and running as far as something that has helped you cope with with um, with, with sexual trauma? How has that helped mm -hmm. you cope? Like, how has it changed your mindset? So it really changed. Um, so um, when I moved to Sherwood Park, I lost my running group just because the the where we met was in Edmonton, and so I didn't want to drive into like I was basically driving longer than I was running. So I just started running by myself, um, and I would get together with the group maybe once a week or even once a month. And so then I started running by myself and then, uh, that's where a lot of stuff started to happen just because I wasn't, uh, conversing with others. So I was with, um, by myself with my thoughts and, uh, it just was quiet. Um, most of all my running is outside. And so I was always out, um, in the, you know, the elements, whether it was cold or snowing or raining or, or heat. Um, I just love the feeling of all of those weather conditions. You know, if it's hot, I just think, oh, okay, let's get this done, girl. And I, you know, dig deep into <laughs> the hot days are the worst for me. Uh, even worse than the cold days. I can bundle up and I can run in like minus 30, minus 35. But the plus 25, plus 30 days, those are really tougher for me. And so just digging deep. And then before you know it, the, um, the rhythm of my feet 
the sound of um, me like on on the ground, uh, the birds like they just it just takes me out like out of the world kind of and it's it's almost meditative. So a lot of times I'll even be listening to music or podcasts when I'm running, but there are a lot of times all of a sudden I can't even remember what I just listened to because I, my, my mind just kind of wanders or just doesn't, it's just, it's really hard to describe. And, um, yeah. And, and, and so there's a lot of thinking that happens. Like I said before, a lot of great ideas come into play, a lot of problem solving. How am I going to figure this out? What am I going to say to this person? Um, and some of the podcasts I listen to like yours, uh, it gives me a chance to digest whatever I'm listening to relate it back to my own life and think, Oh yeah, that's why I have my own business. Ah, you know, and, uh, uh, back in November, I took up this challenge to run 30 days for 30 minutes straight. So since, and I enjoyed it so much that I, I've continued it. So today was 225 days of my run streak and, uh, all of them have been outside. Um, so snowy, rainy. Yeah. All of it. I just, uh, a lot of times I think back to my childhood growing up on a farm and, uh, you know, yeah, just takes me back to that, that safe place that, that I grew up as a child for sure. Yeah. Laura Townsend, ultra marathoner, mm. superwoman, yes. tri triplet bearer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you so much but for being on. Still so hard to hear that. <laughs> it feels like someone else that you're talking about. But yeah, it's pretty incredible this life has given me. Well, thank you so much thank for you. being on Operation Tango Romeo today and for for sharing your story. What you have been doing is absolutely amazing. And it begs the question, I mean, if Laura Townsend can do 50 ultra marathons before the age of 50, what can everybody else do? What can the listeners do? Right. Yes. Yes, absolutely. If I can do it, you can do it. There you That's go. For sure. Yeah. Now, how would somebody support the Saffron Center? How would they get a hold of them? How, how do you spell Saffron? S-A-F-F-R-O-N uh, Center. Uh, I also have a link. Um, Canada helps um, 50 ultras before 50. Um, and, you know, if there's if your local sexual assault center you know, feel free to donate to them. Feel free to reach out to me. Uh, and, uh, yeah, share your story with me. I'll, you know, I'm a, as Mark knows, I'm a huge hugger. And so I'm having a, <laughs> a bit of a difficult time during this, this time right now, but, uh, yeah, I just always get a free hug from me. Uh, even once this is over, but, uh, yeah, you've always got me, um, I've got your back. And I've got yours. Sure. Thank you for being here, my friend. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mark. At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making peer support for post-traumatic stress disorder 
easily accessible with a vision of a world where finding help and support is simple and the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Thank you.